After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. I got a cut on my forehead. I, I couldn't imagine not having a cut on my forehead, just so you understand. Who cares if you have a cut on your forehead? Well, you know, some, some people do.
Okay, that's a $1.5 million cut. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday. And thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. Guys, I'm multitasking. Generally, I would stop what I'm doing to make a video to this degree, but it's just not worth it. Like, like they don't deserve my attention. Charles Oliveira pulling out of this fight—it it doesn't deserve my attention. Charles told us three times he wasn't going to do this fight. The week that it got announced, it got announced on roughly a Tuesday. It might have been a Wednesday. It was kind of like this midweek surprise. This video drops and you see Abu Dhabi and October 22nd, right? Like this whole thing comes out in the main event. The match that nobody wanted to see the first time. They were going to see a second time. And it's Charles versus Islam. And okay, fair enough. Fair enough. But again, when I tell you that was like a Tuesday or a Wednesday, Saturday, the previous Saturday, Three or four days prior to this, Charles sat down and did an interview. I believe he did it with James Lynch, but he sits down, he does an interview, and he says, I'm not fighting Islam. That fight was not announced. It was not booked. Bout agreements were not signed. There was just really strong rumors. There was a really strong rumor that Charles versus Darush was a number one contenders match. So when Charles won that, that Charles would be the number one contender and he would go off and fight Islam. But it was never cleared up. So this was the time frame. And in that time frame where Charles knows these things are being said and knows that they're looking to go in that direction, he gets in front of it. So he didn't hold anybody up. Like right now he looks like the skunk of the garden party, but Charles really shouldn't look that way. You know, you, you don't want people to make plans and this isn't like a destination, I, I don't think, where they're selling tickets to people coming from all over the world. It's not like this was Las Vegas. And you got families that took them two and three years of saving up to do their money. And the guy pulls out. It's not totally like that. And right now, once they've made the TV shows, they put up the billboards, they've had the countdowns. When you pull out, he looks like a jerk. I can't stick that on him. He told the world three times. I'm not. Fighting that guy. Okay. So, good news. You got Gamrot as the backup fighter. So, when, when we finally wake up and realize we are counting on a flake. We're counting on a flake who misses weight routinely and who's openly said, I don't want to do it. We better bring in a backup fighter. And they found one in Gamrot. I like that. Like, Gamrot versus Islam is a really good matchup. I wouldn't go as far as to say that Gamrot could get the jump on him, but it would be a different kind of fight. I don't believe Islam can go out and take Gamrot down. And moreover, I don't believe that he can take him down repeatedly. So, for the X's and O's, I would be interested in that match to a degree. But, from Jump Street, I have maintained for you guys... You've got Islam versus Charles, right? This is from Jump Street. I'm going back five months. You have Islam and Charles. There was nothing competitive about their first fight. Not being a jerk. I'm not being a jerk about it at all. They wrestled. It wasn't close wrestling. It was dominated by Islam. They struck. 
with hands, with feet. It wasn't close striking. It was dominated by Islam. Conditioning, strength, all were factored in. Heart, grit, and ultimately submission. Anything you could do reasonably within a mixed martial arts contest was contested, but not competitively. It all went to Islam. Meanwhile, Islam versus Volk was one of the treats. I mean, one of the true treats in the history of watching MMA. A great fight that you never expected to be a great fight. Controversy. Razor-thin decision. So you got the ability, right? You, you got Volkanovsky saying, I want to fight Islam. You got Islam saying, I, I couldn't care less, whoever they give me. Right, like Islam's not helping at all, but he's not hurting matters. He's not hurting matters. So you have Volkanovsky, who had this amazing fight. He says, I want to do it again. You have Charles Oliveira say three times, I don't want to fight Islam. I don't want to fight Islam. I don't want to fight Islam. And then you go and you sign Charles versus Islam. I mean, not for nothing, guys. I don't think you could be mad at Charles in this equation. Charles did what he said he would do. He said, I'm not going to do the fight. And he's not going to do the fight. Taporia, what do you do with him? I mean, everything's got such a consequence. What do you do with him? Volkanovsky is going to go up. It's going to take on Islam on short notice. What a stud move, right? This isn't the first time. This might be the first time that Volk gets recognized for this. First time that you guys give him credit, but it's not the first time. When he took on Max Holloway the third time, he never should have done it. I never say those words. I'm all for go out there and compete. But when you compete with a guy and you compete with him a second time, then you go out to be with him a third time. It's a totally different story. It's not about competition. You don't go to the third fight when the first two went the same way. I mean, it's just not, that's just not how that's done. So Volk took it though, and Volk extended the margin. That was really the most frightening fight. That's the one where the talks of number one pound for pound, that's where they came. When we saw clear evidence that the older fighter, which rebukes every history lesson you've ever learned, has gained and separated himself even more so from the younger fighter. It's a really big deal, but he, he took that on short notice. That was a very risky match. And I say that to you because some of the stuff with Islam, in a more ideal scenario, he'd have a little bit of time. But the time wouldn't beat up the cardio or the conditioning or game plan and strategize. Like some of these things you hear these talking heads say, but they never elaborate to tell you what it means because the truth is it doesn't mean anything. He'd have a little bit of time to adjust his weight. Volk has been in featherweight mode for about six weeks now. About six weeks, he is committed to fighting Ilya Tapor. He thought it was going to be early next year. I heard one report where he thought it would be January, possibly early February. So to switch out of featherweight mode 
which I don't suggest for you he's cutting weight yet for, but he's still in featherweight mode. And then to go up against Islam, it's one of those spots where it may not be ideal, but for the greats, they, they don't just give you that number. The greats are ready to go at any time. And I don't mean any of the fighters are ready to go at any time. Not most of them aren't the greats. There's 763 guys under contract, and 760 of them suck. Right? you got that small handful of guys that are elite, that this is what they want to do with their life. This is how they spend the time. The rest of them go out there, they try to get on TV so they can cut the line at their local strip club. Like, they're not serious about this. They're headed nowhere. They're interchangeable mediocrities, but then you get these greats. And the greats don't have to get ready because they stay ready. And you have the greats, and they don't come with excuses. I, I got a cut on my forehead. I, I couldn't imagine not having a cut on my forehead, just so, just so you understand. Who cares if you have a cut on your forehead? Well, uh, you know, so, some people do. Okay, that's a, that's a $1.5 million cut. Making sure that thing doesn't bleed a little bit is more important to you than 1.5 million. Are you sure about that? Yeah, you know, cut. Uh, you know, my friend, I'm sorry. And oh, my, I love you all. I see you another time. I see these things happen as part of the game. Is it part of the game? I fought 51 minutes. I did it for another decade longer than you did. It wasn't part of my game ever, let alone 10 days before bell time. But then you have the other guys, right? You have the legit tough guys. The legit tough guys that prepare, that aren't out at the club, that don't care what the weight is. Why would I ever care what the weight is as long as I can make it? But I, but I must tell you, that is weird. It was weird when John Jones did it. I'm going to take a couple of years to become a heavyweight. You are a heavyweight. Anything over 205 pounds is a heavyweight. 205 under 265. You're a heavyweight. No, I want to grow into it. I want to really become a heavyweight. You're a heavyweight. How do you ever complain about a weight class if you can make the weight class? If they call up Volkanovski on short notice and tell him it's against Sugar Sean at 135, well, then he's got a problem. I can't make 135. If you can make the weight class, the weight class isn't a problem. Do you see the difference in mentality? I'm trying to share it because it was a surprise for me to find out how many of the fighters aren't tough guys. They're just, they're not tough guys. They get put in a tough position, and they wilt. It's, it's been a surprise to me, but it's been more of a surprise. I put it as shock at how you guys accept that. You accept, you have no problem. Oh, he cut his eye. I oh, can't do the fight. Why? Why can he not do the fight if he's got... Why? Why would you accept that? Oh, you hurt his rib, you know. He's see you later. Oh, he's put out an x-ray on his Instagram. His rib is... What's that got to do with anything? Are you a tough guy or not? I'm just saying. I'm just bringing it to your attention. What you do with Ilya Teporia greatly matters right now. Ilya Teporia screwed up massively in one regard. He did not make sure his fight with Volkanovsky was the biggest fight for Volkanovsky. That, that's the only problem that Ilya did. But Ilya had an opportunity to do that. He was good with the words. He's a, just a fantastic, handsome, handsome young man. Perfect, beautiful wreck. People want to talk to him. He went so quiet that Volkanovsky said, hey, why are you being quiet? And it was a mistake. It was a mistake. He thought he had power. At 145 pounds, he was clearly the right choice. That's true, but he mistook that for thinking he had power. 
He never should have gone quiet. He should have made sure that his match was the most interesting and biggest match. It wasn't. Islam was. So when this whole story is said and done, Islam beat Deporia. Kamar Usman versus Hazmat Jamayev. I like the match. And I will tell you, as far as it being a number one contenders match, I, mean, I feel like that's really obvious. I only bring to you that that was it, was... it was interesting that that was announced. It was interesting it was announced because Paulo Costa versus Hazmat Jamayev, while we all assumed was the number one contenders match, never was announced. That actually never got stated. And I told you guys a couple of weeks ago, they better have an alternate for that fight because it doesn't feel right. And I even told you that ultimate needs to be Kamar Usman. Now, I had that belief for a couple of reasons. First off, the only one who's willing to take on Chemayev on short notice, not named Kamar Usman, is Jared Cannonier. Jared would have done it. Jared is a, a legitimately tough guy that stays ready. I understand those things, but... You must juxtapose that with the, with the fact that the main event is very light for North America. There appears to be parts of the world that want to see Charles versus Islam. It's just not in the States. And I, I bring that to you, not, not to give that fight a hard time, to let you know, I've generally got my, my thumb right on the pulse of this thing. But there is something that I'm missing there. There's something that somewhere else in the world, like they did this with David Hasselhoff. David Hasselhoff got laughed at in the U.S. and he was the biggest star in Germany. Like, there's things like that that happened. Klitschko, when he was a boxer, neither one of those Klitschkos could sell out a high school auditorium, but they could in Germany. In Germany, they could do a, a $15 million gate. So I share with you how important it was for the North American audience, which is your number one driver of pay-per-view revenues, uh, how important that co-main event was. And that is an obstacle that Jared Cannonier, right, that's just a void that Jared doesn't fill. He's got the willingness and tough, and we like him. You don't stop what you're doing to watch Jared fight at this point in his career. It's just the reality. So that's where Kamar Usman would come in. And I brought this to you weeks ago, that they need to get Kamar to fight Island. They need to get him licensed, and they need to get a message to him that he is perhaps going in. Making it a number one contender's bout, I think it's very obvious. To remind you guys, Sean Strickland and Kamara Usman have already fought. So to set up a potential rematch up a weight class, like these things make sense. These aren't tough sells. And I say that to you because we have had a number of number one contenders matches over the years where when the fight is over, we act as though we never said it was going to be a number one contenders match. We move in a completely different direction, and it's not even discussed. Not only is it overlooked or rebooked, it's not even discussed. In this particular situation, I don't think that's the case. I've always thought that Chemayev was one win away. That isn't Chael's opinion. I heard Dana say about Chemayev, if he picks middleweight, meaning pick middleweight is to mean he doesn't bounce back and forth. There's no catch weights. There's no 178. There's no 170 again. He locks in commitment to middleweight. That he will need one win before he draws in for a world title. Now, 
at the time that statement was made, right? It's like anything. You're only as good as the information that you have at the time. Dana also believed Adesanya would be the champion, but I don't see how that would think, change things for Chemayev. So I've always thought it was the number one contender's bat. Largely depends on who the opponent is, if that's going to be both ways, right? Treated like a semifinal, meaning whoever wins becomes the number one contender. Mark Usman's place, I think that's very real. In fact, Usman wanted the fight with Chemayev so bad not only did he call everybody that he had their number and text everybody at the UFC trying to get that, he actually went to the UFC and sat in the lobby waiting for people to come out of their office or for time to free up so he could go in and campaign for it. UFC liked the idea. Now, taking you guys back two months. UFC liked the idea. More like four months. UFC liked the idea. But then it gets revealed the UFC wasn't into signing off on it because Kamara Usman wanted it at a catch weight. What that told you, the public, falsely, was that Kamara, who has competed his entire career at 170 pounds, found 185 pounds to be too big. That's what everybody thought when they heard catch weight. That's not what I believe was happening. What I believe is Kamara wanted a catch weight. He didn't care if it was over 185. It could have been 191. He didn't care about the weight. He wanted to make sure it was not sanctioned at middleweight because it would become a number one contenders match. And if he beat Chemayev as he planned to do when he called for the fight in the first place, it would draw him into Israel Adesanya. And that was a respect based around cultural heritage to Africa that they just they didn't want to tamper with that. And we all understood that. Okay, fair enough. Point being, as soon as Adesanya is no longer the champion, Kamara doesn't have any problem fighting Shemaev, and you can do it at any weight class that you want. So that's what got us here. There was a rumor going around that this has now moved to a five-round fight. I cannot confirm that rumor, and I hope that rumor is not true. It should not be a five-round fight. No fight that is not a title fight should be a five-round fight. Right. I mean, we can't start messing with rules. You start messing with rules. I mean, this is what they used to do back in Pride. Uh, you, you don't you, you fight under the rules of the event. Any fight that's not a title fight and or a main event fights for three rounds. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. And that's not the hill I want to die on anyway. This is between these boys. But this is a very good fight. And I think if there's anything that I would like to clear up or if I have any goal in making you this piece, it's to let you know Kamar Usman is not too small for this weight class, nor does he believe he's too small for this weight class. Sure, he would have liked more than 11 days, but Kamara Usman used to have world and Olympic aspirations for this country, and he competed at 185 pounds when he was wrestling. So just to let you know, he, there isn't a size problem here. There's a respect that he and Adesanya shared with each other to stay apart. They're now apart, and we got a number one contenders match. Guys, the number one question I get asked all the time, what's the most important habit you can build on to be successful? You know what my answer is? Sleep. I am no sleep expert, but I can tell you that for myself, I perform at my optimum level mentally and physically when I'm getting regular deep sleep. And honestly, that hasn't always been easy. This is where Momentous Sleep Pack comes in. Momentous experts created a natural ingredient combination that will help you fall asleep faster, stay asleep longer, and wake up refreshed. The ingredients are so clean that they're used by the best Olympians, pro athletes, and college teams. Momentous Sleep Pack has every certification under the sun, including being 
NSF certified. I usually take a pack 30 minutes before bed and boom, I wake up feeling like a million bucks. If you're having trouble sleeping and it's affecting your daily performance, I highly recommend Momentous Sleep Pack. Designed by the world's best experts, used by the world's best teams and athletes, and made for all of us, guys. Go to livemomentous.com. Use the promo code CHAIL. That's going to get you 20% off your first order. That's livemomentous.com. And use the promo code CHAIL. There's a very interesting interview. Uh, Dana White did it as it pertains to USADA. And I just want to read you a little bit about what was said. And Dana was talking to Pat McAvee. So he said, so with all that addressed today and not by me, I'm going to let Jeff Novinsky, I'm going to let our lawyer Hunter Campbell handle this. But you know what is about to hit the fan. Dana went on to say, we would still pay an independent company, White said. We have a standard. We have a standard set here, and a lot of people are not happy with USADA. Our deal is up at the end of the year, and we're working on going in a different direction, especially after the dirty scumbag move that they pulled yesterday. He says, I'm going to address that later. And what they're speaking about is USADA had come out. USADA is the one that revealed the news that they will not be working with the UFC after the start of the year. And they went even further as to say, because, or this decision was made, the relationship became untenable when the UFC's leader, that means Dana White, they didn't name him, they called it leader, spoke about USADA's power and authority to allow Connor to fight without sitting the six months, which was the stance that USADA made and made clearly and that it was a principled position. All right. Well, there's a few things there. First off, for them to be the ones to announce it is inappropriate. It's very inappropriate. And when they announced it, they put it in a narrative that the UFC was going to allow Conor McGregor to compete in violation of USADA's rules, which let me start at the very beginning. That is not true. Now, before we get into the X's and O's and who had the right and if the UFC could give a waiver, before we get into any of that, the implication, which it does clearly imply, that Connor is going to be able to return and fight prior to six months, just so you fully understand, never happened. I mean, that's, that's the biggest problem with this whole thing. Connor is not booked to fight. Connor already tried this and failed. Connor came out and said, he wanted to fight in December. There has never been a time that Conor McGregor said he wanted to fight in his entire career where they didn't get him a fight. On January 20th, I believe the year was 2020, Conor McGregor said that he wanted to fight. They found him Cowboy Cerrone outside of the weight class and booked a venue that was not previously even on the books. They sold that venue out in less than 24 hours and had to advertise that event prior to a scheduled pay-per-view. Nothing about that was ideal, but I'm just sharing with you, this is the kind of weight that Connor has. So when Connor says, I want to fight, not to mention they did the buildup of the ultimate fighter, not to mention he's got an opponent, Michael Chandler, who's ready at all times and doesn't care if you want to do it at 170, 175, 191, make up a weight class, don't weigh in at all. 
the fact that the UFC did not do that, did not book that, still has not done that, and still has not booked that is absolute proof that the UFC was not acting in violation of the wishes of USADA. But for the UFC to want to clarify with them, we're not going off your principled stance. We've never gone off your principled stance. In fact, there is no clause within our agreement that says principled stance clause. We're going off the rules. And at this point, it appears that the UFC deferred to USADA. There's no fight. I mean, I really I really need to bring that up. They talked about the leadership making statements. And I remember when Dana made that statement. I remember Dana very specifically saying, hey, guys, I'm, I'm not making a ruling here, right? He's up there. He's got a live camera in his face. Somebody's asking him live questions. And Dana kind of caught himself and said, hey, just so you know, like you're asking me a hypothetical. We are not at all in that situation. And to make believe that Dana should know off the top of his head what all the rules are or what Usada would want to do as though he could read their mind, that wasn't the situation. And he caught himself and he clarified that. He was a real gentleman about it. We then go behind the scenes. Connor makes it clear through social media that he wants to fight in December, and the UFC clearly did not book him in December, which would lead you to believe that they were leaning in the direction of USADA's opinion. So we don't need to, we don't need to split hairs there and say whether they were going to do that or they weren't going to do that. The bottom line is they have so far done that. So for USADA to come out, and don't forget, see, these are clients. USADA likes to take this... This position stance that they're out there serving athletes. And you guys know how much I like politics, right? But I see politicians getting that same credit. I'll see a politician pass away and they'll come out and they'll put them on the front page of the paper and they'll talk about 30 years that they serve the public. You didn't serve anybody if you collected a paycheck. Just so we're all perfectly clear on that. You did not serve anybody if you charged to do it. You don't get credit for being some upstanding serving person. So when you have a customer, in this case, the UFC, that's paying you $10.4 million a year, and you think it's a good idea to come out with a statement that's not a back and forth, you try to get in front of something to try to paint a story that you were the good guy, which is exactly the message you're trying to give when you say that you have the principled stance, which implies that they're disagreeing with your stance, which directly says that they have an unprincipled approach. That's not accurate. That is not accurate. Within that statement of USADA and the story that they attempted to tell, in typical USADA fashion, which is not an interview format, it is not a back and forth, it is a one-way, here's our message, the end. And you got to understand, the power over at USADA, I mean, the real power player that helped those wheels go around, is Jeff Novinsky. Don't make any mistake about that. So when Novinsky is now a C-level executive within the UFC. When Dana talks about we have a standard and we're going to bring in somebody else independent to do that, the labs that USADA uses, which is two, there's one in Salt Lake City, there's one on the campus of UCLA, like there's access to those labs. You don't have to be USADA to get it. So, I mean, not for nothing. If Dana says we have a standard, we've got another way to do it. Oh, by the way, it's somebody that we can work with a little bit better that doesn't come out to the media, speak out of hand about us collect our money, charge us money, and then say that our relationship's untenable because Joe Rogan went and made a comment, which, by the way, Joe was well within bounds. Nobody put USADA down. I don't put I don't put USADA down. There's a number of flaws within USADA. There's a number of flaws within that entire process of being judged during execution or not to mention how many people have fought USADA and won. Do you know how hard, it's be, hard it is to beat USADA in arbitration? So you have to understand from this standpoint, okay? 
when you go into a commission hearing, this isn't a commission hearing, but it's very similar. When you go into a commission hearing, I've heard media say about an athlete says, look, I'm clean. I didn't do this. Okay. Well, he's got a hearing in two months. He will have his day in court. You don't have your day in court. When you have a commission hearing, the commission has found you guilty of something. You now have to go before that very commission to clear yourself, which you'll never find me an example of an athlete that's done that. Why? Well, because for the commission to clear you or say you're in the right, they have to say we're wrong. They've already made a decision. So to go before them and get them to clear you, that's getting them to say we had it wrong, which and first off, they wouldn't do. And secondly, opens them up to all sorts of lawsuits. It would be very difficult for an appellate court to deny something like that once the commission itself says we got it wrong in the first place. And with that said, when they go into quiet arbitration, a number of times USADA has got it wrong. That's okay. I applaud them for fixing that. I applaud them for changing things. But to make believe that you're out doing something as a crusader to help sport, you're not helping anybody when you're collecting $10.4 million. It's now a business relationship. You have a job to do and you have a client and a customer. And in this case, instead of looking out for your client or customer, you came out and attempted to smear them and tell a story that you had the principled position. That's a quote. We had the principled position, which implies that they didn't. You didn't think a guy should be booked. They haven't booked the guy. You're saying the same thing. And the UFC is doing exactly what it should have been doing. And to have to come out and read a statement where they get blindsided by somebody they've paid almost $60 million to, which is falsely putting out a statement that they're the one with principle and the organization does not. That's not true. That's not what happened. I got to tell you, I don't know if I've been contacted more times to make a video than I have over USADA and the UFC, but there was a tone within the text messages or a tone within the direct messages in my inbox where I would be happy about this because I don't like USADA. And I'm not too sure where that tone came from. There is times that USADA makes a mistake from a PR perspective. And I like to tease them and give them a hard time. To, to make believe I don't believe I don't like USADA is simply not true. You have to have clean sport. And USADA is very good, particularly reputationally, of coming in and helping to make that happen. They're not an absolute, right? You got your you got your testing, you got your cheaters, and it's a back and forth battle. And the testers don't know what test to improve or how to do it until the cheaters go first. So the cheaters are always a step ahead. Staying a step ahead is very hard. USADA's got great science. They're very proactive. They're on top of things. I have cautioned USADA a number of times. Stop speaking. Stop. You are do not need to be heard. And it's, it's a piece that they never understood and they've never agreed with me. I'm sharing with them as best as I knew how from the time they came in. It's not how we do it here. I don't know what they do with the Olympic athletes that gets funded by the United States Senate. I always thought that they were a public company. Turns out they're a private company. They just got commissioned to do our Olympic athletes. All right, fine. But either way, it's, it's very relevant 
when I told them, stop speaking, stop coming out and talking about the athletes, the organization to rule, stop. When I told them to do that, it came from a perspective of fully understanding MMA and our officials. By example, we don't have referees that do interviews. We don't have referees that make statements. We don't have judges that do interviews. We don't have judges that make statements. It's very important keeping up with the culture of our industry that you do your job, that you're not seen and that you're not heard. You're just doing it because it's the right thing to do. And that was always tough with them. And they came up with a policy. We will not speak about you unless you speak first. And I, I still, to this day, don't understand why they would think that they ever need to speak, why they think that they would ever need to clear something up. And all that they were doing is creating hard feelings. And moreover, because they would make statements, they wouldn't do interviews, right? It's, it's a very slippery slope if you want to be in something that's public and you want to be heard. There's ways to do it. And statements that come out that are not encompassed with follow-up questions in the form of an interview, you're just, it's a bad look. It's a bad look. So then all of a sudden, they, they start trying to do this PR campaign. They're giving out these t-shirts and jackets. The problem with that, the problem with that is, as I told you earlier, the cheater is always one step ahead. The cheater will always be a step ahead. USADA openly admits this. And so then they come in and get it. You can't, it's, it's one of the reasons that you'll, you'll see Olympic athletes 20 years later have their medals stripped away because their samples are still out there. Science has gotten better. USADA goes back and tests them. We got a lot of Olympic athletes that are sitting there real puckered up right now, hoping that USADA doesn't go back and test them. But I share this with you to try to make a point. USADA's out there. 25 times tested t-shirts, 25 times tested with these jackets that no one would ever wear. They're just, they're ridiculous looking, but they're standing there with a cheater. Like we know in the industry, who's breaking the rules. We all know as an industry, we just don't start pointing fingers. We quietly ask questions of how'd you do it? Where'd you get it? So when Usada's standing there, this guy's beating up 25 times to the point that they're giving him a jacket, flashing around the world. And we're all sitting back looking and go, that guy's been beating you. That guy's been beating your tests. Now, not only are you admitting you couldn't catch them, you're showing them around the world, rubbing it into the industry of guys that are actually following the rule. It's just something they never understood. They never got this concept. So then you come out over the week, and Usada says, our relationship with the UFC has become untenable. It became untenable when we took a principled position on Conor McGregor. Now, let me stop you right there. I don't know what those rules are, and I'm not going to spend the time going to look into them. And I need to disclose that. USADA could have full, they could fully be on the right side of this argument. I'm not speaking to that. I'm going to speak to what they said. We took a principled stand. I don't need your principled stand, and neither does anybody else. There's rules, and they're your rules. So are you implying the rules or not? Because you didn't say right there that you are. You did not say we are applying application on page nine statute. You said we're taking a principled stand. That's not what you're here to do. Now, if that principled stand comes with a statute and or merit in a general legal stance, you would always state what that is. You would never do it in a broad stroke. So it does make me wonder, do they have the authority? And I can tell you now, Conor McGregor has been right on this from Jump Street. From step one, Conor McGregor has had this right, that there is a clearance option. 
and he would like it applied to him, and he believes the UFC is going to apply it to him. Now, we never got armed with any of that, but USADA came out with a statement and said that their relationship became untenable when UFC leadership made it sound as though they might elect to go with that clause as opposed to the principled position of USADA. There is no principled or unprincipled position. There's a statute or there's not. And there is a statute that there is exemptions that could be given. Nobody tested that. Nobody puffed up on that. But I'm just speaking to the idea that them thinking that they should come out and say the relationship with the UFC is over and do it in a piece that sounds as though it's because the UFC is doing it for money and or exception. UFC has been with USADA for what? Five, is it about five years? Am I close? At $10.4 million a year? So they spent almost $60 million and now you have somebody that's going to come out and act as though they're worried about money. And this, it wasn't right. It was a bad move. I've encouraged them repeatedly. Do your job quietly. That's how we do it in this industry. That's how our referees do it. That is how our administrators do it. This is how our judges do it. It was a mistake. Less is more. Do your job, collect your money. Keep your mouth shut. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And I want to remind you that if you enjoyed this episode, please go over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. You can also submit a five-star rating over on my Spotify feed. I'm going to be back for more on Tuesday. Enjoy the weekend. And until next week, I am Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.